0: Grant. I'm Elena and welcome to History Honey's.
1: The podcast where married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past.
0: It's a wonderful spring day. The sun is shining <laughs> through the snowstorm.
1: It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> I hate I hate everything right now.
0: So I figure it's a, it's a great time to go out and do indoor things and enjoy culture. Yeah. Yeah. And this being our show, that means talking about the history of theater.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to talk about, like, the Art Institute.
0: I do love the Art Institute. <laughs> yeah. Now, if if you talk about the history of theater, the history of Western theater, you know, people love to say that, that it is all descended from the ancient Greeks.
1: Yeah. They're all like, those Greek people, they invented theater.
0: And they're right. Mm-hmm. But it's not an unbroken line. No. Uh, In fact, there were centuries when nobody was putting on any plays at all. Over the the course of imperial Rome, uh, theater had declined. And then uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, once the, the church was the big power on the continent, theater stopped yeah there there is a long period of time with no evidence of any news new plays written uh public performances banned by the church actors could not be baptized if you were to marry an actor you would be excommunicated
1: well that was a thing for like a long time yeah, yeah. very long time
0: be- because of this break because of this long stretch of time uh there is another route of all theater, and we're going to start by talking about her, Hrotsvita. Okay. Dar- darling, have, have you heard of Hrotsvita? No. Th- this I d- was not covered in, in your acting degree?
1: Uh, I did not take the theater history class that went back that far. <laughs> <laughs> I did not really see myself doing uh, much theater of that, s- that time frame, mm-hmm. so I figured I should study some other things. Like Dadaism.
0: Sure, sure. You know. Well, Hrotzvita, she lived at the end of the 10th century in Lower Saxony. We're, we're talking the late 900s, yeah. early 1000s. Yeah,
1: did not look at theater of that time
0: frame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we don't have the exact dates for any of the significant moments in her life, but she still left behind a significant body of work. She's the first <laughs> female playwright that we know of in history. Uh, in, in any tradition, any language on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the first person to write a play in, in Western Europe for centuries, like, like I said earlier. And she also wrote histories, uh, including a, a history of her order. It won't surprise you if I jump ahead a bit and say she was a kind of nun.
1: Not surprised.
0: Right. There, there was some, like, first-person bits in there uh, where, where she talks about her own life Uh, So she's one of the big sources for what it was like to be a woman at the end of the 10th century.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense.
0: So uh, she produced her work as a secular canoness in Gandersheim Abbey. If anybody is planning any trips to Lower Saxony, the abbey is still there. You can pop on by, take a look. That's cool. Uh, a canoness is, is like a nun. You can think of it as a kind of nun, but with less vows. A secular canoness took no permanent vows at all. Oh. So you could own property, you could have servants. If uh, you caught somebody's eye, you could go and get married and it wouldn't be a scandal at all.
1: So it's, it's basically you've just like outwardly said, I really like my god. Yeah. So could a kind of be a nun?
0: You're gonna, but not really. You're going to live a simple, faithful life of, of study, just like any other variety of nun, but without any permanent vows. You're keeping your options open.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, it, it's More a, people
1: would probably be nuns if that was the case.
0: It's a good life for an unmarried noblewoman. And that's why we think that's what Rosvito was. You know
1: what it really is? It's really a way to be like, no, stop bugging me, mom, to get married. <laughs> I'm a nun. It's fine.
0: So she, she, she's probably a later born daughter of some noble family of the region.
1: Who finally, like, left her alone. Like <laughs> You don't have to marry. Your sister already did that for us. <laughs>
0: Uh, It's likely that she entered the Abbey later in life. Her uh, body of work, you know, suggests someone who who had experiences. Uh, There's a lot of romance and love and uh, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge in her place that we'll get to. So, hey, maybe she had a wild childhood. But once she became a canoness in that Abbey, she she was uh, educated in uh, Latin and... Everything else you could be educated in at the time. And she read a lot. Uh, obviously, the, the Bible and the works of church fathers, but also contemporary histories, the apocryphal gospels, because once you've read the first four, you're, you're wondering where the rest of the series is. Uh, but her favorite were, were the Roman comedies of Terence. Okay. Uh, Terence is the name we, we use to refer to Publius Terentius Affer. Uh, He was brought to Rome as a slave, earned his freedom, and wrote six surviving comedies. Mm -hmm. He only wrote six comedies, so he's batting a thousand, actually. Lucky guy. Yeah. (laughs) Can't say that for basically anyone else in antiquity. (laughs) Now, he was captured into slavery from what is now Tunisia, and is probably the first playwright of color in European history. Yeah. There have been a lot of people trying to break down exactly what certain words used to refer to him meant in the context of 120 B.C. Yeah. Terrence died at sea at age 25, probably.
1: He was very young.
0: Yeah, he, he went on this boat trip, was never heard from again probably died at sea uh he was taking a journey to to see the world and broaden his horizons and and hopefully you know work that into his later work that Mm. never happened
1: i mean maybe he just found like a better place to be like you know (laughs) this part of the world's better so Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna stay here
0: he he was already doing remakes of greek comedies he might as well just stay in greece change his name yeah farm some olives why not
1: yeah why not
0: but Terence's language was so good, his use of Latin. Uh, and, and his material was less vulgar than his contemporaries. <laughs> that monasteries, in including Gandersheim Abbey, uh, used his plays to teach Latin. Like, oh. he was the primer.
1: Yeah. I always love that, like, people look back on the, like, oh, why can't this be like that in the old days? And why can't this be like th- Theater was always vulgar back then. <laughs> always.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: What good old age are we talking about? Because I don't think it means what you think it means.
0: Satire is linguistically the word descended from the, the satyr plays where goat men would come out with giant dangling prop penises. Yes. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, one of the reasons the early church hated theater so much uh, was that the Roman theater was either watching uh, people mock early Christianity, you know, like reading Christian prayers uh, to laugh at them when anybody who used them in worship would be put to death, or in the performance venue next door, you would watch those Christians be put to death. Yeah. (laughs) The the grudge came from an understandable place. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the, the problem Rosvita saw with Terence was that even though he had less dirty jokes than, say, Plautus, who was writing at the same time, uh, he was still a pagan and secular. Ugh,
1: those pagans.
0: I mean, that's two strikes, right? Like, he, he, wasn't, he, he was writing secular works in a pagan milieu. Like, come on. Ugh. So uh, the, these beautifully written plays are going around to to all the educated people of Christendom but they're talking about you know pagan gods and and Roman virtues rather than Christian ones so she's worried that people of good faith might be quote attracted by the polished elegance of the style of pagan writers
1: oh no it's
0: a slippery slope from Terence to Jupiter worship because <gasps> potentially <yeah>. potentially <laughs> So her solution was to make a better alternative, uh, use their meter and, and that polished elegance, but to tell stories about virtuous Catholic women. And, and they would be comedies just like Terence's work, inspired by this guy who lived a millennia before her.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're about as far from her as she was from him. Like, yeah. <laughs> her aunt's vita is almost exactly the midpoint between us here today and Terence.
1: Oh, that's mind-blowing.
0: Yes!
1: (laughs) That's weird to think about.
0: Now, one thing to keep in mind uh, when I'm going to talk about these plays is that comedy, we're we're talking about a a period when that basically meant happy ending. They didn't all have to have jokes. (laughs) Comedies weren't necessarily funny.
1: They were just not... Filled with death and destruction.
0: Like, fast forward 600 years and you get The Merchant of Venice, which is also a comedy. Not very funny.
1: No, it's really... It's not. <laughs> it's, it's not a comedy.
0: But all the good people are married at the end and the bad guy is punished at the end. That makes it a comedy. Yeah. So we're, we're working with a definition closer to that one than than the contemporary definition.
1: Yeah.
0: And the uniting factor in her six plays... Uh, it is a focus on maintaining Christian virtues, uh, most commonly chastity. Oh. Just six quick plot recaps of her entire uh, uh, dramatic work. Gallicanus. We've got this lady named Constance who doesn't want to marry Gallicanus, who is an officer in her father's military. And she says that he'll have to become a Christian first. He does on the battlefield. Uh, God then helps him win the war, and when he returns home as a good Christian, he allows Constance to retain her vow of chastity and does not force her to marry him. No, oh. happy ending. Sure. Dulcitus, three Christian sisters are ordered to marry their pagan governor and make a sacrifice which is no, no good. Uh, they are thrown in a dungeon when they refuse. The governor tries to seduce them, uh, but by a miracle, he instead starts making out with and, and groping all the pots and pans in the kitchen, which is right next to the dungeon, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, he gets covered in soot, and all of of his soldiers think he's some sort of unholy demon, which, get it? Eh? Uh-huh. After he snaps out of it, uh, he, he is incensed, and the three sisters are, are uh, given all sorts of trials and tortures. And by the end, all three have been martyred and enter paradise with their virtue intact.
1: Yeah, happy ending.
0: Calamachus, Drusiana doesn't want to marry this guy, Calamachus.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a theme here.
0: <laughs> because he's not a good Christian. She wants to get out of this marriage so bad that she prays for death. And it works. But Calamachus doesn't let that stop him. Uh, He bribes a guard to see her lying in her tomb. Uh, A snake kills the guard, but spares Callimachus because he didn't really mean any harm. See, he has also converted to Christianity. And Drusiana is resurrected. She prays for the guard to be resurrected as well, out of the the kindness of her virtuous heart. And he is. But then he dies again when he is disgusted to see that Callimachus is a Christian now. (laughs) And you thought they wouldn't be funny.
1: Now, are there any where the girl actually wants to marry someone? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no.
1: No? Okay.
0: Abraham. Abraham is a holy hermit. Not the Abraham you're thinking of. Just named for him. Okay. Uh, he is raising his daughter, Mary, and teaching her how important chastity is. Uh, later, like 20 years later, she is seduced and runs away in shame. Uh, Abraham spends years trying to find her a- until he... Uh, Here's word that she is living and working in a brothel. He goes there in disguise, and he teaches her about God's boundless forgiveness. She seeks penance, and the family is united and lives happily ever after as holy hermits.
1: Maybe he should have talked about that to begin with.
0: <laughs> but then there wouldn't be a plot.
1: But then his daughter would have never run away, <laughs> ashamed, because he put her virginity on such a high pedestal. Man, themes don't change.
0: Paphnusius is the, the fifth play. Uh-huh. And a heck of a name. Uh, but Paphnutius is another holy hermit who hears about a famous prostitute, Theis. He goes to her, finds that she already is, is aware of and believes in an omniscient god. Uh, and through logical debate, I suppose, uh, convinces her to live by the word of God. Uh, she spends years performing penance, lives a, a holy cloistered life in a convent, and then dies shortly after leaving her seclusion. This is a dramatization of the life of Saint Theus. That this is a real saint story pre uh. that pre-existed vita
1: Ah. Uh-huh. I'm confused about this dude who's just going around, like, trying to find famous prostitutes, though.
0: Well, you've slept with the rest. Time for the best. (laughs) And then there is Sepentia. Sepentia, all of these plays are named for a central character. All of them have women as a central character. Sepentia is the only one named for the woman. Yeah. Uh, Sepentia has three daughters. And all four of them are taken before Emperor Hadrian for refusing to worship the Roman gods. He asks about their ages, and she gives him uh, this co- complex math riddle to figure them out. And so he sentences them to death.
1: Ooh, maybe don't sass him. <laughs> don't sass your emperor.
0: Dulcitus is the one that, that has the reputation for being the funniest, because it's got that extended... You know, mistaken identity thing, and and the dude makes out with cookery. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the best joke in all of them. <laughs> so again, these three sisters, faith, hope, and charity, uh, they they steadfastly endure gruesome punishments and are martyred. Forty days later, Sapencia herself dies while praying at their grave. Yay! Comedy again. Comedy is you know the the good people get rewarded, and in all of By these. By death. That reward is entering into the gates of heaven.
1: So was there an uptick in, like, suicides after this? <laughs> because that seems to be her message, is you need to die.
0: Well, that would be a mortal sin, so she, she'd she be against that.
1: Okay. Was there an uptick in cutting <laughs> off those that are higher above you in life? <laughs> so they ask for you to be murdered.
0: So suicide by feudal lord? Is, yes. is that what you're yes. saying? Okay. Now, yeah, the, the the focus on chastity and virginity is pretty rough to look at with modern eyes. Yes. I mean, for context, it was one of the best ways for women to gain influence. I mean, yes. l- look at the life of Hrasvita herself. She's only a feature in history because of the education she got at an abbey. Mm-hmm. She uh, spread her word by playing on the fact that... That she was just a a simple member of the lesser sex. So the fact that there's anything good in her work must be a spark of divine inspiration,
1: mm-hmm.
0: S- which, in shorter words, means you you have to like this. God did it through my hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good play. Like yeah. that's as far as tactics go. I I dig it. I dig yeah. it. And by writing about chastity, she has to compare it against things. So she's writing about temptation and seduction and lust and all those things that are really fun to read about. <laughs> I mean, it's to compare those nasty bits of business with how much better a virtuous life is in comparison. But the pull of the forbidden is still good drama all the same. Mm-hmm. Do romance novels also descend from Horos Vita? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Like, maybe not descend, but there's a, there's a wavelength. There's, yeah. a, there's a commonality. I, I came to this point uh, a minute ago out of order, but I just like this uh, quote she had from the introduction to uh, one of her works.
1: Scorn he should not render at the writer's weaker gender, who these small lines had sung with a woman's untutored tongue, but rather should he praise the Lord's celestial grace.
0: I I appreciate the translator for maintaining a rhyme scheme. It's probably better in Latin all the same, though.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for not asking me to read the Latin version. (laughs) That would have been brutal.
0: But the point still stands. If you don't like it, take it up with God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: These plays were probably meant uh, as closet drama, plays that are supposed to be read rather than performed. For one, there's no such thing as a theater company or public performance. We yeah. were we were centuries away from even religious plays being performed in public spaces.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it's also how she received all her theater. Like, she wasn't seeing Terence performed, heavens no, she was reading Terence. As well as reading, like, the poetry of Ovid and and all these Latin masters of antiquity. But there were plenty of Christian poets to to fill that void. Rosvita was the first to say, there should be a Christian playwright. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And after she wrote her plays, they took the place of Terence's in teaching Latin among her order. Oh. So there you go. There you go. Right to spec, fill a job, there you go. (laughs) But she wrote plenty besides. She she wrote a book of legends, uh, mostly legends of saints, work, works of hagiography. Uh, she wrote a history of Emperor Otto I, as I mentioned, a history of her own order, uh, all in Latin verse. Uh, her work was complete by the year 1000. She she made it just in time for the second millennium to dawn. Yeah. Uh, it was first published in 1493. Oof lying around in in handwritten, hand-copied codices in in abbeys and monasteries until they were discovered by this guy once the the Renaissance is in full swing. Like, hey, this seems nice. I bet I could make a buck on this. Might, Might as well. Might as well. The first confirmed record of her plays being publicly performed was in Paris in the year 1888. Dang. But you you can go and see Fros uh, Vita performed if you're lucky and if you have a theater troupe nearby that, that enjoys, you know, classical stuff. Yeah. In fact, there, there have been times where a cash prize was awarded to any company who uh, made the decision to replace a, a Greek play from their season with one of Fros Vita's. Oh. Mix it up. Come see, on. See try, the breadth that's, that something exists. Try
1: different. Yeah.
0: Is a uh, groundbreaking lady talking about ladies not getting broken.
1: That's one way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Break time?
0: Break time. Okay. Yeah. So we're in the early medieval period, uh-huh. And after a long drought, someone is finally writing plays again. Okay. But not performing them.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: And it's going to take us to our our second playwright of the day, Saint Hildegard of Bingen. Okay. She was born about a hundred years after Frosvita wrote her plays. Uh-huh. Uh, And she joined a monastery at a young age and and rose to be abbess there. Uh, She was educated there, of course, and became a prolific writer. She wrote a little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, She composed a cycle of liturgical music. Uh, She wrote a nine-book volume on the scientific and medicinal properties of various plants, stones, fish, reptiles, and animals called Physica. Dang and then the Cause et Cure, a six-book volume on the human body with instructions on the diagnosis and treatment of disease. Wow. She learned it all from gardening. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: She's just her own Wikipedia.
0: <laughs> uh, she also made an alternative alphabet and her own invented language, just, <laughs> just for funsies.
1: You know. Why
0: not? It was probably used within her abbey as like a way of protecting solidarity and, and their own independence. She was very big on her abbey being independent. Oh. Once she rose to Abbas, there there was an abbot who was like, hey, uh, we, we should join up. You got a really nice abbey there. It's like... Been around forever. Thick stone walls. You're doing all right for yourself. We're doing all right, too. We'll be together, and, and, and you can... I'll be in charge of everything, and you can be in charge of the women. And she's like, no. Instead, I think I'm going to move my abbey uh, to this other town and just build a new one out of nothing, out uh, of just some sticks with a, leafy, with a leaky roof. I, I'd rather do that. <laughs> when this abbot went behind her back to, like, do his plan anyway... Uh, Hildegard was struck by an illness that everyone took as a sign from God that he was unhappy with this action and we should let it be Hildegard's way instead.
1: (laughs) So take that.
0: So she founded a few monasteries in her day. (laughs) Yeah. Mysterious illness wasn't the only way God spoke to Hildegard. She claimed she received visions uh, beginning at the age of three. Oh, boy. I don't know when she started claiming it, but once she did, she said they started at age three. Yeah. Just just to be clear.
1: So God is my imaginary friend named Harold.
0: Well, no, no. God's real. They're nuns. They're very, very sure about that.
1: God's coming to me. Okay. In my imaginary friend, Harold. (laughs) Oh,
0: Okay. Okay. How about that? Uh, It was more like a a being of, of living light, as she described it. And she described it a lot. Most of her writing, in fact, were were three huge volumes of theology based on her visions. Mm-hmm. Uh, these writings were approved by Pope Eugenius the after he sent a commission to determine whether or not they were genuine. They said yes. Uh, he read a sample, and he's like, "Yeah, this this is good stuff." Okay. The the second volume she wrote to describe her visions took the form of conflicts between the virtues and the vices personified. Oh. So just remember that for like three minutes from now. Okay. In that second volume was also an early description of purgatory as a place of penance for souls, which impacted Catholic theology to this day. Oh. There you go. I think that's enough groundwork uh, to talk about the reason she's in this episode. The Ordo Virtutum. Virtutum! It's all Latin. Everything's in Latin. Yeah. It was the lingua franca. (laughs) Ordo Virtutum is the first medieval morality play and the only medieval musical drama that survives with both text and music. Oh. You could perform this and be reasonably sure that it was exactly how it was intended. Yeah. I say reasonably because medieval musical notation did not include tempo.
1: That makes a difference.
0: That one you just have to do your best historical guess on. <laughs> yeah. But everything else is is written down and can be read. Okay. Now, morality plays became the dominant style of theater in the 15th to 16th century. Mm-hmm. That's how ahead of her time she was. She invented it in the 1100s. Yeah. Now, like comedy, doesn't just mean a play with jokes in it. Uh huh. A morality play isn't a play with a moral at the end. Okay. It it is a more specific uh, genre than that. One of the signature features of a morality play is that the characters are personifications of abstract concepts. Uh, the main character was usually humanity, like people, all of it,
1: all the people, just
0: humanity itself. Mm -hmm. The most famous morality play is uh, named Everyman, which is also the name of the main character. Everyman.
1: Yes. This character represents all of you.
0: Yes. The theme was always, essentially, you're gonna die. Yep. So get right before you do. Uh Uh-huh. The world's pleasures are not worth the price. The only thing you can take with you is salvation, so that should probably be your priority here.
1: I don't know. Ice cream exists. (laughs) Like,
0: not beyond the grave, it doesn't, well, and also not in eleven hundred. I don't think. <laughs> maybe that should be your next episode: history the of ice cream. cream.
1: Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll look. Maybe I'll look into the history of some uh, snacky foods.
0: So, all of those features of morality plays trace back directly to Ordo Virtutum. The roles are the soul. Mm-hmm. Our, our main character, uh, a chorus of prophets and patriarchs, a chorus of souls, the devil, mm-hmm. and the 17 female virtues. Uh, these are, first, humility, the queen of the virtues, and the rest as follows, celestial love, charity, chastity, contempt of the world, discretion, faith, fear of God, hope, innocence, knowledge of God, mercy, modesty, obedience, patience, and victory. There's also discipline, whose name is crossed out in the manuscript. Oh. So maybe that's something else that we're not sure how it was. <laughs> Two judgment calls, tempo and whether discipline is in the play or not, I guess.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I do like that uh, contempt of the world follows chastity on your list.
0: Only in the alphabet. <laughs> yeah,
1: just like, well, screw it all. <laughs>
0: Here's the plot of Ordo Virtutum. The virtues are introduced to the prophets and patriarchs, who sing in their chorus that, like, hey, nice, love them, great. Uh, The chorus of souls then complain about being trapped in bodies. The soul uh, is pretty happy just being a soul, loving life, existing, and would like to go straight to heaven now, please. Mm -hmm. But the virtues respond and tell her she has to live in a body first. So she does, and the devil tempts her with all the worldly pleasures and indulgences of life. Then the virtues describe themselves again, with the devil interrupting them and insulting them. Uh, the soul, having lived a long and full life, uh, uh, dealing with you know, these pressures being pulled in opposite directions, repents. The virtues all bind the devil, and the soul enters heaven as all praise God. The end. Nice and simple. The show is sung through with 82 melodies in total.
1: Dang. The Uh, Hamilton of its time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Of course, the the exception to the singing rule is the devil's part. He only shouts. (laughs) The devil just screams. Left his cap lock on. It's a total contrast to the rest of the piece and like... I feel like you could do that in a Sung Through musical today and people would be talking about how like clever and innovative it is when this was from the eleven hundreds.
1: I mean it'd be hilarious. It
0: would be. It'd
1: be so funny. Especially if it's like a very like beautifully sung musical mm-hmm. and then the and devil. And then there's just a,
0: just a shouty guy. <gasps> ah, ah, ah.
1: Like, the character comes out shouting, mm-hmm. but, like, none of the other characters stop singing. And, no. like, no one acknowledges him and <laughs> just, like, completely, like, it's like he's invisible, but he's just shouty.
0: Coming soon to the Neo-Futurarium.
1: <laughs> I haven't played a right, apparently.
0: <laughs> Ordo Virtutum was performed in the Abbey as a liturgical piece as a piece of worship which is pretty nice for for all the nuns there provided a rare chance to enjoy music and just the fun of singing without breaking their vow of silence because it's a worship service the same as reading the mass doesn't break the vow of silence or or doing the liturgical chants. there you go
1: so technically you could have a full conversation at any point As long as you sing it and say you're worshipping.
0: As long as your conversation is taking uh, the form of a conversation between Christ and St. Peter.
1: Well, you just, you you know, you're speaking to God. Oh, you happened to be in the room and you heard all that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Sneaky nuns. Mm
0: -hmm. I guess this brings us to a sidebar. that While Horos Vita is the... uh, Currently, unless some really old dusty book turns up somewhere, undisputed first playwright of, of Christendom, mm-hmm. uh, there was a form of theater that existed alongside her, the, the liturgical drama. Uh-huh. This started just from reading the Mass, and then at some point, on some Easter, there is a priest that's like, Well, what if we act out this part? with uh, the women discovering the, the angel saying that Christ is risen. Uh-huh. And then over decades, that came to uh, be replicated in more parts of the service, in, in more parts of the liturgical calendar. Mm-hmm. There are two uh, competing theories for what made theater happen again, and both descend from the church. Either liturgical drama or Horos Vita saying plays are nice, But they're too not Christian. Yeah. Yeah. But musicals definitely come from Hildegard. (laughs) So, yeah, Ordo uh, Virtutum circulated as its own piece of liturgical theater. And like we mentioned, gave rise to the entire genre of morality plays, even though the next known morality play wouldn't be written for a century. Yeah. Again, ahead of her time. Mm Mm-hmm. And when she wasn't writing, Hildegard made history in plenty of other ways, like uh, four tours of the German states to give her sermons in places and times when women were banned from speaking. Yeah. She spoke in monasteries. She spoke in public. She spoke to clergy. She spoke to lay people. If you are writing Pope-approved books of of visionary theology, it opens some doors. Yeah. And she went in those open doors and spoke to those people, not just about her her visions and, and what they mean for faith in the church, uh, but to, to argue for reform and against corruption in the church. She was a particular enemy of simony. Mm-hmm. This is the practice of the church selling offices, yeah. pe- people being able to buy a, a position in the, the church hierarchy. Yeah. Is a big no no, but it happened anyway, and Hildegard was firmly against it. Yeah. Uh, she was even quoted by Martin Luther when he was firmly against a whole lot of things centuries down the line. Ah. Uh, she was regarded as a saint uh, not long at all after her death, but her canonization process was kind of patchwork. Like it was never formally written down. Until the year 2012.
1: Oh my gosh!
0: After she was regarded as Saint Hildegard for centuries and generations upon generations. Yeah. Finally, a a, a pope put it down in ink. So that she could be declared a doctor of the church only five months later. The quickest turnaround for that. Uh, A doctor of the church is a specific kind of saint. It is a category that is populated entirely by saints. There's only 36 of them for now. Uh huh. And they are saints recognized for their contributions to church doctrine.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So, because she had such a hand in shaping uh, the the doctrine and teachings of Catholicism, she is recognized in this, this small, small group on a level with St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas. Like, oh. that is some good company for uh, the inventor of the morality play. Yeah so darling, what have you learned
1: all of this because i didn't know any of this (laughs) Uh
0: uh-huh
1: uh-huh um i'm also well i'm really curious if i would have taken the history class that was offered that was like basically the start of theater until sometime because they broke it up into time frames and Mm i took a different one if they would have talked about these
0: what did yours start with like 1800s maybe i don't know
1: I remember exactly. I mean, we covered Dadaism.
0: <laughs> okay, so.
1: And there was a history class that came after that one too. Okay. I mean, that was like, you know, 12 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you just got to know how to do it. You don't have to know where it came from. Especially when people are not performing these shows. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's What's I mean with the one that was like in the middle, because I was like, well, I don't, I don't know these things. Mm-hmm. We spend so much time with the modern stuff.
0: Right. Like and we spend so
1: much time on Shakespeare, which is like the only old thing people do. So
0: you're going to learn enough about Tennessee Williams in your actual acting classes. You don't need the history class that covers him. Yeah. It, it's a good thought process. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. You know.
1: I mean, I would have taken all of them, but I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> only BFA students could do that. Mm.
0: That's That's what the F comes from history yeah yeah
1: but yeah i didn't i didn't really know any of this Mm -hmm. um i I think it's very interesting some of the people that helped you know create theater Mm -hmm. you know in the catholic church and they really hated theater for a long time
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah
1: and it's just very contradictory
0: (laughs) there would not be a uh recorded again uh secular play until Until like 1330-something. Yeah. Yeah, in England.
1: Well, and to look at like that history that there wouldn't be any, and then it would be like, look at all this stuff. (laughs) So much being created. It's very interesting.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's an interesting look at the early medieval period, you know, the the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages. Uh, People think of as a time when nothing happened. Yeah. Where everybody was... Wrong about everything, and nothing changed, uh, until one day an Italian guy wanted to put cogs on his goggles, and and now we have the Renaissance. Yeah, I'm not really sure how that works. Uh, <laughs> but if you look closely enough, and if we're lucky enough for the records to survive, there is innovation and uh, uh, creation and iteration all through this time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's Closer to the truth to say the the records were lost than all culture was lost.
1: Yeah. Uh. <laughs> no, that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was it was very interesting. I would like to see the neo-futurists put on one of these shows. <laughs> Perhaps the musical, because I think they would get the, the screaming Satan really well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that can be their next show where it like takes you through the building. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then Satan just pops out of everywhere, screaming ev- every at you. Every
0: station around the building is one of the virtues, and your tour guide is Satan.
1: Who screams at you a lot. Yes. Get moving! <laughs> you're walking too slow!
0: Let's gamble. And then the virtue of discretion would pop out and say, no, 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 no.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Oh, what if the virtues did jump scares, though? What if it was, like, <laughs> a haunted house where Satan's, like, guiding you around, trying to lead you to those things like you're saying but then you don't know where the virtue is going to come from mm-hmm. and it's just like full on hot in house
0: i would not like to be surprised by the virtue of victory that sounds violent
1: i want to be surprised by the virtue of hope
0: yeah surprised by the virtue of hope is my uh my new memoir mm-hmm. i will be running for president uh, if it hits the new york times list
1: yeah <laughs> I also want to be surprised by the virtue of Contempt of the World. (laughs) That's my new band name.
0: Surprised by the virtue of Contempt of the World? Yeah. So it's prog rock then.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah.
0: Anyway, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with your letters. Letters. everybody. Hi. I hope you're all having a lovely day and I hope you enjoyed that episode but it's not over yet. No. Nope. Because we have letters.
1: Yeah. Tiny mailbox this time.
0: And we love it all the same. Mm-hmm. Our first is from Kieran uh, and some of our recent prompts happen to line up with his interests. His favorite deadly disease is syphilis uh, which has had uh, a really notable impact on history one of the reasons it's so notable is that you can sort of trace it across uh uh, europe once it uh appeared after columbus's landing in in uh the caribbean Mm -hmm. because it has a more unique uh uh presentation than other diseases it doesn't get mistaken for anything yeah. Like, it's hard to trace the uh, history of a disease that has flu-like symptoms, because there's so darn many of them.
1: And there's just also straight-up flu.
0: There's only one syphilis. Yeah. <laughs> and it became th- this uh, ingrained part of culture, just like, then one night, it was fixed.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: And as soon as we had penicillin, we had no no more syphilis, and the world changed on a dime again. To answer the prompt of favorite playwright, he dips back into a past mailbag to talk once again about Aphra Ben, uh, the first professional English-language female writer in history, uh, who was a spy in, serv- in the service of King Charles II, best friend of the king's mistress, she wrote books and plays promoting racial equality, Ooh. and a filthy poem about an impotent shepherd Ooh. Ooh. And if you want to hear more about syphilis and or Afra Ben, uh you can of course check out Kieran's work at headstuff.org. Yeah. Thank you very much.
1: Bellaphone wrote in and shared some very cute dog pictures.
0: Gloria is such a sweetie. Give her the lemonade, please.
1: <laughs> she really wants the lemonade. Dakota just wants to lick dirt, apparently, but that's okay. <laughs> Bellaphone answers uh, the prompt of favorite playwright, and that is Cormac McCarthy. Particularly, I assume their play, Sunset Limited.
0: Thanks, Bellaphon. Final Gamer writes back with a couple prompt responses of their own. Uh, first, their favorite infectious disease is the eponymous siphon filter from the Siphon Filter video game series.
1: Oh, for a second I was like, what? What is this? I've never heard of it. That explains it.
0: It is a genetically programmable bioweapon. So, so you can uh, use it to, to target whoever you want dead. And it gets passed around the, the, over the course of the series to all sorts of shady organizations uh, who would like to use that ability for their ill schemes. So uh, in the package of a PlayStation, PlayStation 2 stealth game, you can also learn about bioterrorism and government abuse and ethnic cleansing and all sorts of fun escapist topics. Oh boy. Uh, Their favorite origin story is that of Dracula, but not just any Dracula. The Dracula as presented in the Castlevania series of video games. I'm starting to think that this final gamer enjoys gaming.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: And wants to prevent all of us from enjoying it so they can remain the final one. Yeah. I guess. (laughs) How rude... But essentially, their Dracula is a a grieving husband who uh, was so consumed by despair that he defied God's will uh, in order to become immortal, then raised an army of demons and outcasts that God abandoned in order to destroy God himself. Because that's what you do when your wife dies in the Crusades.
1: Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I guess so. As long as we've got the the Belmont family on our side, I I think we'll be okay. Yeah. Thanks, Final Gamer, and thanks to everybody who writes in. Uh, Where can those letters go, dear?
1: podcast at gmail.com.
0: And we love hearing your, your stories, your comments, your questions, your corrections, and your show suggestions, as well as your responses to our usual prompts.
1: And animal pictures.
0: And we especially love to look at cute, fluffy things, and sometimes scaly things, and, yeah. and, and feathered things. Yeah. yeah. We,
1: we don't discriminate against the things, except for spiders. Please don't send those. And if you do, I would need a warning. Before we open that email. Please Thank you. Please
0: clearly label your spiders. Yep. But otherwise.
1: Otherwise, we're probably good.
0: But speaking of prompts, dear, what would you like to hear for in advance of our next episode?
1: I want to know people's favorite snack. Darling. What?
0: You're my favorite snack. Okay. And all those emails can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. While you're getting in touch with us, a great way to do it is on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram.
1: At History Honeys.
0: That's right. You can also leave us a rating and review, and we really wish you would on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you manage to find the chance. We will interpret every five-star review as uh, one that Hrotsvita was cheated of. Being born in a time before theatrical reviews. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She she earned it. She deserves it.
1: Yeah, so come come give us all her five-star reviews.
0: Mm-hmm. It's restorative justice is what it is.
1: Yeah. And you can also tell a friend.
0: Tell those friends. We love your friends, and we would love to be introduced to your friends.
1: Word of mouth helps. Uh. Many people find us. Mm-hmm. And it just deepens your friend connection.
0: Mm-hmm. And if a friend has dogs
1: share those dog
0: pictures we're we're all about come on and with that i'm grant i'm elena and history's better with your honey. honey